You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. I want to build on something that Tim preached two weeks ago. Um, he did a sermon called, uh, called Living with Imperfect People, um, which is something that we all have to do. So, um, except for me, my wife is perfect, so she's incredible. Um, brownie points, sorry. Um, <laughs> I have the microphone, so I can do it. So anyway, um, but uh, living with imperfect people, and that's something that's essential that we have to get down because we are surrounded by imperfect people in our homes, in our jobs, and in our church. And when Tim preached that, I was already working on this sermon uh, for Sunday morning. And I was like, well, I don't know if I need to preach it because I feel like it's kind of echoing a lot of the things that he said. Uh, But as I began to pray about it, I felt like it was good. I felt like I'm going to be building on some truths that he laid a foundation for and um, really dive deeper into what he was talking about. So this morning, I want to talk to you about overcoming offense, overcoming offense. You say that now, but um, <laughs> we, we, we live in, a, in, in the most offended society in, in the history of the world, in the most easily offendable society in the history of the world. I mean, it is just every little thing now that we, that we nitpick, and we even are offended by what people did you know, 15 years ago that we didn't even know. And, you know, this cancel culture movement, which is crazy, um, but we live um, in, a, in a, a very offendable society in our nation, in our church, in our home. Um, you know, social media has not helped this at all, but made it 10 times worse, uh, you know, with the election, with politics, with, you know, people's opinions, um, especially with everything going on right now with um, coronavirus and mask and the economy. And it's just, man, it, uh, it is a, it's a hot mess. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of scary to dive off and talk about it with anyone. You know, there's kind of a hesitation there when you talk with, with people that maybe you just met or, uh, don't know very well. You know, if I say, if I say something the wrong way, or if I, you know, voice that I, you know, support something that they don't support, then they're going to, you know, they may freak out on me. And so it's like, we have to walk on eggshells everywhere and it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be this way, especially for believers, especially for believers, and as I was thinking about, but this, this leaven has crept into the church and you'll see people come in and, you know, the pastor says something that they don't like or says it in a way that they don't like that he said it. They get offended and they, you know, they roll out and they, they get in this cycle where they just go, they go to a church until it offends them and they go to a church until it offends them. They go to a church until it offends them. And it's, and it, man, don't go to a church that doesn't offend you is what I would say. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about like, how have we come to this? How did we get here? What is the cause? It, we didn't get here overnight. But as, as history has progressed in the last 50, 60 years and technology has progressed a lot, we are more connected with the world around us than we ever have been before. You, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't know what somebody across the nation in the middle of Idaho thought about your political, you know, your political opinion. There were, there were almost like little pockets of people where it's like, we, you know, you live around people that pretty much think a lot like you do um, based on where you live in the world. Um, but now you, you know, somebody that you don't know and that you're never going to meet has the power to ruin your whole day. And it's probably some 14 year old kid on TikTok. (laughs) You know, (laughs) 
you know, in detail, we just really didn't know what people thought halfway across the country or halfway across the world. Um, and social media has given people like this weird sense of boldness. You know, I'm not face to face with that person, so I can just vomit at the mouth and say whatever I want to because, you know, forget them because I'm never going to see them. You know, that's how, you know, I, I think sometimes we would be a lot less bold face to face. Um, now, I don't think this connection is the root of our offense, but I do think this connection is exposing a dysfunction, a sickness that we have in our nation, that we have in our world, that we have in our hearts. Um, what has caused this? One thing I really see this in the younger generations, my generation, millennials, Gen Zs, you know, kind of 40 and below, statistics show that we are the most fatherless generations in the history of the world. And I think that's a big root cause of it. And we're the most hurt generations in the history of the world because you cannot stress the importance enough of a godly father. That's not Josh Barnett's opinion. Just look at statistics. A quick Google search will show you. And so it's something that has caused us. And, And the reason why is because godly fathers teach us who we are. Godly fathers give us a sense of identity. Godly fathers, and, and, God, and godly fathers also help us to be tough. Not that moms can't do that. Don't, man, you're so sexist. You're already getting offended, see? Um, <clears throat> not that moms can't do that, but you can look at statistics across the board and see how influential fathers are in raising up their kids and raising up the next generation. But I believe that people are so offended because they don't know who they are. I want to make the argument today that if we really knew who we were, then we wouldn't get so offended all the time. If we really knew how our Father God saw us, if we really understood what Christ did for us, I promise us that we would be a lot more secure. We'd be a lot more secure. We, we, We become so hungry for the approval of man when we really should just find our rest that we have approval from God. And not to walk around with like a who cares attitude about like what so and so thinks about me, but who cares? Because I know how God thinks about me. I know how he, I know how he sees me. I know how valuable he thinks I am. <clears throat> and when, you, when you're in that place, um, you, you become a lot more unoffendable. Now, nobody is unoffendable. Jesus says that in Luke 17, verse 1. He says that if you are going to be in this world, offenses are going to come. You're, go- you're going to get offended. But I think we can step into a place where we have a little bit, not, I don't mean thicker skin as in calloused, but thicker skin as in things roll off of us because, again, we know who we are in Jesus. We know who we are in Christ. And we're able to step into a place where we're able to process offense in a healthy way. We've got to be able to process our offense in a healthy way. Being offended is not an excuse to walk out. Being offended is not an excuse to quit. Even a church, this is family. You don't get to walk out on family. This is, this is family. If you allow the enemy to plant a seed of offense, then you're going to bear the fruit of bitterness. If you allow the enemy to plant a seed of offense, you're going to bear the fruit of bitterness, and it is an ugly fruit that poisons the soul. That's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. I'm going to have to encourage myself this morning because I know this is a hard word. Um, (laughs) One huge point I want to make today as we start is you've got to refuse to be offended just because someone thinks differently than you do. Just because someone has a different opinion than you. Just because someone left a comment on the article that you shared 
with a different opinion, you've got to refuse to step into a place of offense. My goodness. We've got, we have got to toughen up. It's weird. It's weird though, like when we come in contact with people that disagree with things that we believe in, we like let it unravel our whole world. And it's like, what? Like you think that? Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Don't allow different thinking to cause you to be offended. <clears throat> it may be hard to love that person. It may be hard to step in that place, but don't allow it to be you def- make you defensive and cause you to um, at- react out of frustration or react out of anger or cause you to separate yourself from them. Um, think this thought. Why do they think that way? Why do they have that opinion? Even in church, man, it's so weird. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about at all, you know, scrubbing on, tr- on truth. We're not stepping away from truth at all. We believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. We believe that Jesus is God incarnate. We believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that he died on the cross to save us from darkness, from sin, from hell. And he rose again on the third day not, to bring us resurrection, abundant life. None of that is up for debate. But my goodness, the people that have been offended at me because I speak in tongues. Why? Why? Like people think I'm weird. I think you're weird because you don't. I had a boy come to youth group a few weeks ago and it's totally fine. He's like, man, the word's really good, but man, worship is kind of odd. Worship's kind of weird. And I was like, oh yeah, we're really, you know, what do they, cause he goes to another church on Sunday morning. I was like, what do they do at church, your church? And he's like, well, we stand up and we open the hymnals to a certain page and we all, you know, sing together and you know, grandma plays the organ. And I was like, bro, I'm gonna be honest with you. That's weird. <clears throat> I was like, I, I, I told him, I was like, I never went to a church like that. <laughs> you know, I come but if you'll talk to people, you'll find out they think the way they do for a reason. When I talk to our young, most of our young people, when I talk to them, I, I, I let them know, like, you know, you're probably a Christian because your parents were Christian. Most young people, I find that mo- they're, they're Christian because their parents were Christian. If you go over to the Middle East, you'll find that young person's probably a Muslim because their parents were Muslim. Right? And so... We've got to talk to people. We've got to dialogue with people. We've got to wash each other's feet. I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, but when you wash someone's feet, you find out why they walk the way they do. And maybe they think differently on that political issue because they have a different vantage point. Maybe there's a deep-seated hurt in their heart that was never healed, that they didn't, see, they didn't seek justice the right way. But we've got, to talk, we've got to talk to people and not just write them off. And we've got to be willing to learn from other people. You know, here's a big one. Maybe you're wrong. That's hard. Yeesh, like, that's hard for me to admit. Like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. <clears throat> but maybe we all can have some grace for each other. Just because someone's opinion is different than you, it shouldn't shake your faith. It shouldn't shake your faith. It should actually cause you to pursue truth. Don't be offended because, someone's, because someone has a claim or a thought that you don't fully understand Allow it to push you to study and make sure what you believe is actually true. Maybe they're bringing a different viewpoint you've never heard before. And because you, you, you realize that you don't fully know or understand what you believe, cause it to push you to study and find truth. Many people believe in God, but they don't know why they believe in God. Many people believe that scripture is the infallible word of God, but how many people can, believe, can give reasons of why they believe that? That's why Peter said it in uh, first, first Peter, not Timothy, first Peter 3.15, he says, be ready to give a defense. Be ready to give an answer for the faith that you have. It's good. Maybe we're so offended all the time because we don't have a ready defense. We don't have an answer when we are asked. <clears throat> and 
I said this a couple weeks ago when I talked about honor. Don't let something that doesn't matter cause you to lose something that does matter. Don't let something that doesn't matter cause you to lose something that does matter. And you see this in the church of Lotter where we disagree on things like tongues or things like the end times. Man, when I start talking about what I believe about the end times, I get some crazy looks. People look at me like I have lost my mind. (laughs) But that shouldn't be something that causes you and I to no longer be brothers and sisters in Christ. That shouldn't be some, just because I don't believe Jesus is coming back tomorrow like you do, doesn't mean that we should separate. Just because I read the Great Commission when Jesus said, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, and when he said that, he meant it. That doesn't mean that we have to separate. You just don't hide out within these walls and pray for Jesus to come back tomorrow. Don't be an escapist and the world can go to hell. Don't have those thoughts and we can agree, we can get along. If, if you can agree with me that we are supposed to proclaim this good news until he does come, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. But just because we have a different nuance in the way that you interpret a scripture and I interpret a scripture doesn't mean that we can no longer be a part of the same body. That's crazy to me. Okay, sorry. God bless you. Some of you are looking at me like, well, what do you believe about the end times, brother? We'll talk about it another day. <laughs> we've got to know our war isn't against flesh and blood. Ultimately, our war is against demonic ideology. It's against dark ideas that are holding people captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight, uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, we as believers, we wage war supernaturally. We wage war spiritually, not physically. And I, and I know some people a lot of times think, well, I, well, yeah, like I'm not picking up a gun and shooting somebody that I disagree with. Yeah, but sometimes you use your words as swords. I think about when, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers came to arrest him and Peter jumped up and pulled out a sword and cut off the ear of Malachus. Jesus was not, uh, Peter was not aiming for the ear. He was trying to kill this guy. And a lot of times I see the church today, a lot on social media too. Hear me, prepare yourself, don't get offended. We're talking about overcoming offense, so prepare your heart. Um, a lot of times we use our words or our beliefs and we weaponize them and we cut off the ears of the listeners of the very people that we're called to reach. We're cutting off the very ears of people we're called to reach. We're called to reach people with healing, with peace, with joy, with heaven, with abundant life, with love, not with frustration and anger and rage and malice. Our, I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, here's the question I want everybody to ask yourself this morning. What offends you? What offends you? What offends me, Lord? What offends me? What makes you angry? What hurts you? Once identified, 
the next question you should ask yourself is why does this offend me? Why does this hurt me? Why does this bother me? Sitting in church, listening to teaching, sitting, listening to your parents, whatever. Why does something offend you? The first response I believe for a believer should always be to look in the mirror and ask yourself, why does this offend me? I always start with self-evaluation before I start throwing spears at the speaker. And a refusal to ask yourself that question is simply pride. A refusal to ask yourself of why does this offend me is pride because you're basically saying in your heart, I know better than them. And it's a refusal to grow. It's a refusal to learn. It's a refusal to change. What offends you? Main causes. I I wrote down a couple main causes as I was praying for this, preparing for this. Main causes of offense. The first one, I've got two main ones. And a lot of them, most of them just kind of stem from this. But the first one is failed expectations. Failed expectations. When people fail us, it offends us. We get offended when people don't live up to what, what we have put on them. We get offended when people don't live up to what we put on them. Why does it bother us so much? Why does it rock us so much? Maybe we put our faith in people more than we put our faith in Christ. A person failing should never cause you to turn your back on Jesus. If a person sinning causes you to turn your back on Jesus, maybe it was because they were your God. I'm not saying that we shouldn't look up to people. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have faith and trust in people. All those things should happen, um, but you can't make people the rock on which you build your life because people are shifting sands. We build our our life on Christ. People are going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. Paul's going to blow it. Tim's going to blow it. Your pastors are going to blow it. Your spouse is going to blow it. (laughs) Now, we should hold our leaders to a high standards, and I believe that leaders should live up to them but you've got to know that people are human and they will fail you. They will let you down. And listen, people are going to fail you even if it's not like a sin. I'm going to fail you and me not be in sin. I'm a finite human being. I know most of y'all didn't know that, but I'm a finite human being. I'm kidding. I'm a finite human being. Um, Maybe you have an unrealistic, maybe people are, are hurting you and offending you because you have an unrealistic expectation on that person. There are people that get mad at me and Paul and Tim because we don't say hi to them at church. Never mind the fact they came in 20 minutes after service started and they, they leave before we say amen on the closing prayer. It's people do. They get offended over that. They get offended that me or Paul or Tim don't drop, every, drop what we're doing at that moment so that we can have a meeting with them. Now, listen, I've got four excuses. Their names are Micah, Judah, Emma, and Ezra. And they're all seven and younger. Pray for me, please. (laughs) They're my excuses. (laughs) So if I can't have a long 30-minute conversation with you after church is over, it's because I got four little ones. Now, I don't know what Paul and Tim are doing, so, you know, they ain't got those excuses. So, you know, you can get mad at at them. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. (laughs) But... (laughs) But maybe you're offended because you expect too much out of finite people. I want you to know, church, there is a need inside of you that only one person can meet. There is a need inside of you that only Jesus can meet. Some people in this room right now, you're living offended at your spouse because we bought into the lie that our spouse is our need meter. 
Your spouse is not your need meter. Jesus is your need meter. Jesus is your need meter. Well, she doesn't do this for me. Well, he doesn't do that for me. Go, I mean, I read Ephesians chapter 5 and like marriage is like the marriage of like two dead people. You lay your life down for your spouse. And regardless of how they treat you or not. You lay your life down for your spouse. They are not there to meet your needs. God bless you. Colossians 3.13 says that we have to make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive other. Realize that people have weaknesses. People aren't going to be perfect. Love overlooks some things. <laughs> Love overlooks some things. Sometimes it overlooks socks left on the floor. Sometimes it overlooks the tone in which he talked to you. <laughs> Love overlooks some things. It forgives quickly. It has grace for people. Proverbs 19.11 says it's actually to the glory of a person that they overlook an offense. Proverbs 10.12 says that love covers a multitude, multitude of wrongs. And 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Don't keep record of what people do against you or what they don't do for you. You keep no record of wrongs. Parents, siblings, families, roommates, leaders, pastors are going to fail you. You've got to be able to overcome offense. And here's the funny thing. Everybody wants grace. Nobody wants to show it. Right? Everybody wants grace. Nobody wants to show it. Right? Well, you know, when, well, he did this and he did that and he said this and he said that. But then when it's you and you blow it, it's like grace, brother. Forgiveness, right? Come on. Grace. That's, that's where we are. Everybody wants grace. Nobody wants to show it. Don't make people little gods. Don't make people little gods. Don't let people shake your faith. Don't let them separate you from God. Have more faith in God than you have in people. The second main reason of offense is correction. Hard words, discipline. We all need it. You don't graduate from this. You don't graduate from this. It actually gets harder as you get older. (laughs) We all get blind spots. We all get blind spots. Not, and so we need people to correct us. We need people to sharpen us. We need people to discipline us. And not just from our leaders or from our pastors or from our spouses, but also from our friends. Proverbs 27, 6 says, better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. Better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. And I'm not saying that you just open up and let everybody speak into you and everybody whatever and you're going to listen to every. No, you need a close circle of some people that you allow to speak into your life. Jason that was over here, Brandon that was over here are my two best friends. They have been for about 10 years now. They both have permission from me, from my mouth, when I was in my right mind saying, hey, if I get off track, you correct me. You tell me what I'm doing wrong. They both have. And it's been for the same thing, actually. Um, but they both have, for real, they both, they both have taken me out to lunch at two different times over the last few years and told me that I was being too critical of whatever. I get really critical of, of things. But they told me that I was being too critical. They corrected me in love. My wife has permission. I told her this in my right, right, right mind. My wife has permission to call Jason or Brandon if I'm ever acting in a way that I am not supposed to or that I'm not called to or that I'm not living up to the man of honor that I said that I was going to be. She has permission to call them so that they can rebuke me. Maybe so that they can come outside and spank me. You know, they can come over to my house and jerk, jerk a knot on my tail. 
Better are wounds from a friend than, than, than kisses from an enemy. Hebrews, Hebrews 12 talks a lot about the Lord disciplining those that he loves. He disciplines his children. It actually says what kind of child does father doesn't discipline them? An illegitimate one. We're going to get disciplined. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever cor- hates correction is stupid. I didn't say that. So you can't get offended at me this morning. That was God in Proverbs. If you hate correction, you're stupid is what he says. So uh, uh, Proverbs fifteen thirty two says, those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. I will say this to you this morning. Be grateful for the person who speaks hard words to you. Be grateful for the person who speaks hard words to you. And if you don't have someone that does, you need someone. No one outgrows accountability. Take heed, therefore, lest you fall. Everybody needs accountability. You don't grow out of that. Be grateful for the person who speaks hard words to you. Beware of the coward who only kisses you. Beware of the coward who only presents kisses. Beware of the coward who stands at pulpits and only tickles ears. Beware of the coward who only preaches feel-good sermons, who is more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. Beware of the coward who only encourages you but never corrects you. Beware of the coward who only approves of everything that you do. You've got to have people in your life that speak hard words to you. And when correction is presented, don't get defensive. Ask, why does this offend me? Why does this hurt? Take it home, digest it, think on it, pray on it, look in the mirror. A couple reasons that, that correction offends us and why it's so hard is because, number one, it damages our projected perfection. When we realize that people see flaws or cracks in our behavior, it rocks us a lot of times, especially in, a, especially in, a, in our culture, in our day and time in history where, you know, you've got the highlight reel on social media and you only, and you only show everybody the awesome, the awesome, amazing parts of your life, right? I saw everybody's snow pictures a couple weeks ago and you're oh so cute out there with your kids, but nobody took videos and pictures of their kids screaming and crying 10 minutes later because their hands were cold because of the snow. And nobody took pictures of coming, of coming inside and melted snow all over the floor and your daughter sliding and busting her head on the floor and then trying to get everybody to take a bath and then, and then get everybody laid down and everybody calm down and then three hours later they want to go out and do it all over again. You just saw the cute picture, right? <laughs> when correction and discipline are brought to us, thoughts that we think are like, oh no, everybody knows I'm broken. Just me? Okay. <laughs> everybody knows that I have flaws. And so we quickly put up these defenses and we quickly begin to justify and we try this juggling act of like, why I did this and why I do this and why I do this? And it's like, stop. Just know that you're not perfect. Know that you're not perfect. It's okay. It makes us feel vulnerable because we realize people see the flaws that we thought we hit oh so well. Don't get offended and throw up your, your, your defenses. Don't, and listen, don't allow your own image to be an idol. Don't allow your image to be an idol. It's very easy to slip into. Uh, number two uh, reason that correction offends us is it's, uh, many times it's perverted protection. Perverted protection, it's protection of your idol. We are so quick to justify our dysfunction. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you're offended because you're actually just convicted about something. And it's something that you know that you're supposed to stop doing or something that you're supposed to start doing or something that you're supposed to lay down. 
And your flesh gets offended because you don't want to change. Maybe you're offended because you're defensive about your sin. Yeesh. Don't tweet that. It'll get taken down. Okay. Um, (laughs) Canceled. Um, (laughs) Or or it's perverted protection because you've been hurt before. A lot of times if we are if we are manipulated or hurt by a spouse, by a leader, by a pastor or something, we are afraid to then submit to another spiritual authority because we think they're going to hurt me and manipulate me like the last person did. It's a defense mechanism. We refuse to be close to anyone of authority again. <clears throat> and we use offense as an excuse for distance and isolation. But I want to let you know this morning, isolation is your first step into lawlessness. Isolation is your first step into lawlessness. Proverbs 18.1 actually says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. <clears throat> and disconnection from leadership because of offense will actually cost you the maturity necessary for the calling of God on your life. Disconnection from leadership will cause, cost you the maturity required for the calling of God on your life. Don't think this is just for young people. This is for every person in the room. We all need discipline. We all need correction. We all need hard words. Now, I'm not saying that we... (laughs) Promise you won't get offended. And I'll go there. Okay. I'm not saying... uh, Let me talk to the the older's relative. Let me talk to... uh, Maybe uh, more mature, uh, more wise. Uh, I, I, I'm really thinking like 40-ish and older. We, we, we don't go around purposefully offending people. Notice that if you're, if you're a leader, if you're a dad, if you're a mom, if you're somebody that's an older generation, and, and people don't like you, don't ever want to be around you, don't want to listen to you, Maybe it's the way that you talk to people. Your age is not an excuse for your tone. You do deserve honor. You do deserve honor. You do deserve people to look up to you and to listen to your wisdom. But I will say that if you, don't, if you are not patient and you are not kind, you are outside of love. Younger generation, younger's relative, under 40. Listen to me, big boy pants, big girl pants. Lean into hard words. Look past the tone. Be grateful that somebody older than you is trying to speak wisdom into your life, whether they're going about it the right way or not, trying to find find the truth in what they're saying. Younger generation, we have got to learn to submit. We have got to learn to honor our leaders. And you're never going to find a perfect leader to honor. Look at the fruit of someone's life. We need a synergy of generations. We don't need generations to separate from each other. We need, we need each other. We need each other. And I, I really believe that one of the calls that God has on my life in this body of Christ is to bring generations together. It breaks God's heart when, when, when the older generation and the younger generation are separate from each other. Pray about that. 
oh my gosh, it's 12 o'clock. What are y'all doing? Y'all are holding me up. Wow. It was uh, Jason in worship. He sang that song too long. Um, (laughs) I will say this to everybody in the room. If you're unwilling to be offended, you're unwilling to grow. Even when you read your Bible, our Bible is offensive. It's meant to sharpen you. It's for correction and for reproof. Let the Bible spank you. Um, Jesus said a lot of offensive things. I don't know where we got the picture of him like tiptoeing through the daisies and throwing up peace signs and acting like a hippie, but I don't serve a hippie Jesus. He's a man's man. He's, he's, he was, he's incredible. He's full of love, but he, but he was tough. Jesus did not shy away from truth in order to not offend people. At the peak of his ministry in John chapter 6, 30, 000, about 30,000 people there, he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. He who has ears, let him hear. See ya. And, it, and everybody was like, what? You want us to eat you? Drink your blood? You've lost your mind. You're crazy. Because he didn't stand around and explain what he was talking about. And then it got so, so many people were leaving that he looks at his 12 disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? And he was totally okay with that because he knew who he was. <laughs> Jesus said a lot of offensive things actually. Uh, but Hebrews 12 again tells us that he proves his love by way of discipline. Matthew 15, we won't turn there for sake of time. Matthew 15, <clears throat> verses 22 through 28. Uh, a Canaanite woman comes to Jesus and her, her daughter is demon possessed and she is crying out like son of David, like have a mercy. Heal my daughter, she's possessed. I don't know what to do. And Jesus ignores her. Ignores her. Canceled. Gets so bad the disciples say, Lord, please send her away. She's so annoying. It's awful. We can't take it anymore. So this woman was desperate and crying out over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus looks at her and says, I came for the lost sheep of Israel, not for dogs. Did you catch that? Jesus called this woman a dog. A dog. Now, Paul and Tim, man, I got to have thick, really thick skin to work around here. They say, they're, they've said a lot of mean things to me over the years and you should feel sorry for me. But they've never called me a dog. Jesus calls this woman a dog. And her response is, yes, but even the dogs get scraps off the master's table. And he said, my woman, your great faith has made your daughter well this very moment. And what I want you to know this morning is that on the other side of your offense is breakthrough. On the other side of your offense is breakthrough. This woman was able to move through being offended and move into the presence of Jesus. And there... Jesus is going to say hard things to you. He's going to say hard things to you. And I believe, that, I believe that even in this room right now that a lot of people are praying for breakthrough. They're praying for something to happen in their family or in their own life or healing or whatever. But you have maintained a distance from Christ because you know what he's going to call you to do if you get close enough. And he is waiting for you to move past the offense of what he's going to call you to do or what he's going to call you to lay down. And in that place, there is revival There is life, there is healing, there is breakthrough. In Mark chapter 6, 
It says, there's a verse, uh, verse 5 says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles because they were offended at him. Not that he wouldn't do. He couldn't do any miracles because they were offended at him. To close, how do we overcome offense? Again, don't allow things that don't matter still from you, things that do. We can disagree and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. How do I overcome offense from hurt? You know, I'm saying a lot of these things and I know a lot of people's first response is, you don't know what they did to me. Man, I don't. But I've been in those places. Where they don't deserve it. But me holding something against them did nothing to them, but it was destroying me. You've got to forgive, forgive, forgive. Every day, sometimes every moment, you've got to forgive, forgive, forgive. You've got to treat your enemies the way that you want to be treated. You've got to pray for those who persecute you. I know that Jesus on the cross, while the soldiers are nailing them and hanging him up and mocking him and stripping him naked, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I know when Stephen was being stoned, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that's got to be our response, God. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The reason, that, the reason they're treating you the way that they are is because they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. They don't know who God has called them to be. Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You've got to forgive. You've got to be able to overcome offense. From correction. How do you overcome offense from correction? Lean in. Lean in. Don't shy away from hard words. Submit yourself to your spouse, your parents, your friends, your leaders. Allow the Lord to use people to help you. And repent. Change the way that you think. Don't allow the tone and someone's truth take you out. Man, me and Jason would have left 10 years ago. Paul was so mean to us. I'm kidding. I'm picking on Paul today. Paul's here. Tim's not, so I got to pick on him. (laughs) I know he won't get offended either. How to overcome offense. How to stay out of offense. I think a key story, and I know I'm over time, but I I really, I, I think this is important for some people in the room. I think a key story on how to stay out of offense and how to overcome offense is is in Mark chapter 14 with Mary of Bethany when she breaks open the alabaster jar and she anoints the feet of Jesus and she offends every person in the room. And they begin to scold her and rebuke her and probably say all kind of nasty, mean things to her. And guess who comes to her defense? Jesus. Jesus comes to her defense. How did this girl, this precious daughter, stay out of, because she could have immediately said, like, forget you guys, like, I'm just trying to worship him, like, I'm out of here, can't believe you would say that to me. You all right? Throw up her middle fingers and roll out. Or just leave crying so hurt, I can't believe they would say that, I can't believe they would do that, I can't believe whatever, I'm just trying to worship Jesus. She didn't say nothing. She kept her eyes on Christ. She kept her eyes on Christ. How do you stay out of offense? How do you overcome offense? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he will come to your defense. You keep your eyes on him and he will defend you. 
You keep your eyes on him and he will empower you to forgive those who are coming after you. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on that perfect, beautiful man. And then allow him to offend you. (laughs) Welcome offense from him. My goal every time I preach, and gosh, I can't get through a sermon. I, I can't even pray without crying. My goal every time I preach is to make much of Jesus. My goal every time I preach is to get people to his feet because that's where real transformation happens. That's where real freedom and healing is found. It's not found in a sermon or a church service. It's not found in talented musicians and speakers. It's not found in playing church. It's found at Jesus. It's found in Jesus. Listen, your justice for your offense is not found through a settlement. It's not found with everybody saying, yep, she's the victim. Yep, he's the victim. It's not getting all of society to go, yep, you're right. That's not justice. That's not true justice. The only place that you find justice and healing from being offended is at the feet of Jesus because he took all of those things to the cross. He took all of those things to the cross and he's the only one that's going to view you the way that you were designed to be viewed. He's the only one who sees you for who you really are. He's the only one who knows all of your flaws, all of your dysfunction, all of your mess, all of your sin, all of your cracks and he says, I want that one and I'll give my life for that one. I will lay it all down if if she's the only one. Mary anointed Jesus the day before he went to the cross, the night of that he was about to be arrested. He was anointed with his oil. And I believe that one thing that held Christ on the cross and not him saying, forget y'all, he would be able to smell that perfume while he was hanging there on the cross. And I believe Jesus had the thought, if she's the only one, I will stay here. I will stay on this cross. If she's the only one, don't let offense take you out. Don't let offense cause you to leave the room. Have the heart of David in Psalms 139 where he says, search me, O God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lord, is there anything in me that offends you? Get it out. Let's stand here this morning. I'm going to pray. I know I'm over time. I know the little ones get restless. But, I mean, I remember. I went to those Pentecostal churches growing up. And, buddy, we were lucky to be out by 2.30. Come on takes me back my roots I want you to ask yourself that question again what offends you what hurts you what hurts you let's bow our head let's close our eyes I want you to think about that pain point in your heart right now that pain point in your heart maybe it's words from your dad when you were a kid And you're a 50-year-old man and you thought you would be over it by now and you're not. Maybe it's words from from an ex, a spouse that you've divorced. Maybe it's words from your current spouse. Maybe it's something a boss or a coach said to you. Maybe it's something somebody said on the playground when you were a little kid. 
Maybe it's something somebody said to you on social media and you haven't been able to let it go and you don't know why it bothers you, but it bothers you and it hurts and it makes you angry. What is it? What's that pain point? What's that pain point? I want to bring it to the cross right now. Right now, from the, from the left side of the room to the right side of the room, the Holy Spirit is going to move. And if you'll allow him right now, open up your heart to him and say, Jesus, take this away because it's poisoning me. Take this away from me, Jesus. Give me strength to forgive the unoffendable because you forgave the unoffendable in me. And right now, the Holy Spirit is moving through like a, like a rushing wind, like a clean water for your soul. And he's moving through your heart and your mind right now. Come on, allow him to fill those places. He's the only one where you're going to find justice. At the cross is the only place that you're going to find healing. Come on, on the other side of offense, on the other side of offense is your breakthrough. Jesus, I thank you for each and every one of these people in this room right now. Lord, I ask that they would know their value that they would know how you see them, that you loved them so much that you sent your son to take our place on the cross, to pay a price that we couldn't pay so that we could have relationship with you, so that we could be forgiven. Jesus, we thank you for forgiving the unoffendable in us. Help us now to go and forgive the unoffendable in others. Help us to forgive the way that you forgive. Help us to love one another the way that you love us. Help us to overcome the hard words, the discipline, the correction. It's not pleasant. It's not fun to go through. Sometimes we don't always agree with it. Sometimes it doesn't seem right. Sometimes we don't understand. Jesus, we need you. We need your power. We need your peace. We need your joy. We need your help, Lord. We can't do this without you. We can't go through this world without you. But you said, take heart because I have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to shine bright for you, Lord. Help us to truly forgive those who have persecuted us, who, those who, had came, who have come against us so that we can leave this place in a healthy, Lord. Healthy so that we can love people the way that you've called us to love people so that we can shine bright for our families, for our community for our nation. If you're standing next to your spouse, I want you to grab their hand right now. If you're standing next to your spouse, I want you to grab their hand. And if you're not next to them, they're not here for whatever reason today, I just want you to intercede for them. I want you to stand in, stand in the place. You are, if you're married to someone, you are one with that person. Lord, I ask that you would bring healing to marriages in this room. I ask that you would help us to see that each other are not our need meters, but you're our need meter, Lord. Help us to die to ourselves and love the person next to us like we love our own body. That we would honor that person we're holding hands with right now like we want honor ourselves. That we would treat them even better than we want someone to treat us. Lord, I prophesy over marriages in this room that are seemingly at an end. I prophesy life over them. And I say, marriages come alive. Marriages come alive. Marriages come alive. Those marriages that are doing real well right now, I prophesy an increase in joy, an increase in peace that you didn't even know was possible. 
that you didn't even think that you could have, that you think that you're happy now, the Lord is saying, just wait. I've got more for you. I've got more for you. I pray an increase in blessing, an increase in financial prosperity. God, that your kingdom would come and reign in our marriages. Your kingdom would come and reign in our homes. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your words. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your love. God, we give you all that we are today, this week. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would give us your eyes and your heart for every person that we come in contact with. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Church, we love you. God bless you. Praying that you have a great week. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.